Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Hello, we are in studio for another episode of In the Landscape. Thank you so much for tuning in to our recent episode, which we got out after a bit of a hiatus. We're glad if you're back to listen to us for another episode. Thank you so much. And if you're interested in specific topics we don't cover today, we encourage you to go back and listen to some previous episodes. We do talk about planning, mapping out your design, programming your design. And today we're going to get into the topic of implementing your design. So I'm your host, Kate Sadler, and in studio with me is my co-host. Charles Sadler, good to be here. Good to be here. So we're going to take essentially take, start taking the design off the page. And, you know, we may cover some of the items that we've covered before, because, of course, we'll, we'll do a deep dive into something like irrigation. But we'll be talking about it chronologically in terms of, you know, when you would want to be considering implementation of certain stages to, to get your design up and running. And again, we're sort of talking about going from the page directly into a, a blank or <laughs> fresh landscape that needs some refurbishing. So Charles, why don't you start taking us through this topic and orient us in what you mean by implementing your design? Well, let's see. Like in previous episodes, we've talked about, like you said, the planning, getting all the, getting the program down. Like it's, the program is to sit in a hammock or to barbecue or to have privacy. So you have all that beautiful design is on the page. And in the construction trades, there's lots of specialization. So there's the mason, the carpenter. And so moving a project forward, having a general contractor, someone that knows (laughs) how all the different trades work together, that's important. So the phasing of it. And then so there's often the initial from the drawing phase, we often... Sometimes construction drawings are needed. So something like very specific, more than a pretty drawing, but that would have like the nuts and bolts of how this pool pavilion is going to be built. Now, does the drawing include specifics like the materials or even the sources for the materials? Or is that something, is it a little bit like a suggestion of an idea? And then you look for like implementation of the design involves going through and looking for the materials. Right. There's like the design phase that we work on usually. It's a concept plan, so it's it's something that is buildable, but it's not not all of the details are worked out. Mm-hmm. So, like, is it a historic brick or is it a faux brick where it's just the it's just the surface that you're going to see, or is it a solid brick or a short brick, long brick? So those so there's usually the phase after the 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 concept plan is approved. Then, like, you really get down to the nitty gritty of okay, what do you want to implement? How much of this right now? Mm. And then there's like a budget discussion. Mm-hmm. And then, then we do more specific drawings. That, then we, and then we meet with a contractor. Mm-hmm. And so the contractor will say, what are you thinking about here? I'll say, well, this is the stone type of stone we're thinking of. And then they'd say, well, that, that's going to be a problem here. It's like on the north side of the house. It's shady. It'll be slippery because it'll stay wet. Oh, okay. So, but there's another material that's better. And then we get as specific as visiting a supplier. And getting, there's even masonry boards where it's a brick sample. So it's very thin slices of brick that's made up to look like it would on a wall or a patio. And it's, what about taking a chance on a new material? Because I know, for example, we've had clients that were interested in permeable paving for something like a driveway that they didn't, they, you know, whether the 
building requirements said they couldn't have that surface area covered or or they just wanted to do that to be mindful of runoff. You do have companies that are putting out materials in response to changing conditions or mm-hmm. so how do you how do you begin the process of of maybe taking a chance on a new material? I'm sure they send samples, but then what about like installation or you know how it's going to actually wear in the landscape? Oh, good point. So I like chatting with if you when we call a supplier, so it could be a local supplier or maybe it's national where they call a home office and they tell you you're in Albuquerque. This is where you can buy find this material. And then there's often contract. Then there's the process of finding. So there's a supplier and then finding the contractor. Mm-hmm. If it's a more unusual material, it's like part of the qualification of the of the contractor process. They like have you worked with bare root trees before, hmm. <laughs> or have you worked with? I mean, in Houston, some of the contractors or the the other designers there were sort of joking. There's spe- there's such specialization. So there's a mason that just does horizontal brick, hmm. which is like a patio. And that mason would just do vertical brick, like on a wall. Mm. And so it's where other parts of the country, a mason would work with every kind of stone, every kind of brick. They would do your inside fireplace. They do your driveway stone. They do your pool patio. Hmm. So it's sort of learning the nuances and like within the area. Great. So what's next? Well, you know, the scale is important too. So if it's like we talked about in other episodes, whether it's rural, suburban, or urban, Mm-hmm. And so that's that can affect if it's urban, if the site is like very tight and narrow, maybe the backyard is on the other side of a townhouse. Mm. Sometimes that's involved in the planning process. So for, I mean, maybe just to backtrack, if, like a, the average suburban property we work on, there is permitting. I wouldn't say it's excessive. And it depends on the part of the country. So the average, I mean, like in the northeastern U.S., there's probably going to be a fence permit. To remove a tree, there'd be a permit, depending on the size of the tree and the size of the property. In Texas, it seems to be less less permit intensive. So there might not be permits for those. When it's urban, it tends to, almost no matter where you are, there tends to be more regulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been like you know, horrible accidents with cranes falling in construction. I mean, you hear that yes, in yes. New York City, that's mm-hmm. happened. So when you have lots of people living in very close proximity, the architectures in close proximity. Yeah, so working in a city, there's that whole other layer of planning, and you'd want to have contractors that were experienced with getting a permit to put the dumpster in front of the building, how the material's going to be moved in and out. So there's like a higher level of complexity, I would say. I mean, even being able to find a place to park can be a challenge if you're a contractor working in a city, because you know you're. <laughs> it's like, are you double parked? Are you going to be getting a ticket for that? For where you're sitting, because the you know it, the likelihood of finding a, a free space in front of the building you need to work in is just like un, totally unrealistic. So it's it's a real challenge. And there's people I forget the industry if it's for like utility workers, and their job is finding parking spots. It's like an actual paid mm. where when you see a car occasionally, you don't have an orange cone on top of it mm-hmm. and it's like that it's like a sign to the police i believe that it's like a utility person or it's not to which, give them a ticket <laughs> <laughs> which in manhattan where i lived which was up by a uh, grant's tomb 125th street and broadway uh they would film they filmed a lot of shows there some movies but a lot of television shows and so 
they would set aside the, they would be very clear that the parking was off limits. They, they you had to permit it. So it was like mm-hmm. a sign from the city saying on these dates, don't have your car here. If you left your car there, they would tow it, but not like aggressively. They would like move it to a different spot. And so it was sort of safe, but not, <laughs> not like where you had it, left it. Like half a block or something. Yeah. Or so I had a block. friend whose car was like, towed away from the filming area. And I think there was some message for how to find it. I can't remember, but you know, that's uh, it's a whole other world. It's a whole other world. (laughs) And most, I mean, most residential contractors don't aren't working with the resources of a film crew. Right. I mean, the specialization (laughs) of the contractors, we've run into that with various levels of success where is a contractor familiar with that borough or that part of the Mm -hmm. city or that city. And then, I mean, for an urban project, in some cases, the plants are going to be in planters. It's there's right. not open ground. Mm-hmm. So getting, I mean, the planters, that's part of the design process, sizing them. There's special soil. Like it's, there's a brand name called Roof Light, where it's, it's soil that's engineered. It's not solid soil. There's other material in it. So there can be that whole phase of getting the planters delivered, getting the soil delivered in advance. So then, when, then the crew was there doing the planting. So the level of complexity, I mean, when it's rural, you definitely don't want to have to be like, oh, we have to go to the store to get the right wrench or the right. Mm. I mean, there's also quite a bit of planning in the excerpts of Houston. When we talk to contractors about projects in my head, I'll think, well, this is, let's say it's an hour and a half outside of Houston. In my head, I think there must be a contractor in that vicinity. And oftentimes there's not. I mean, not not that's going to do very sophisticated, complicated work. So that's part of the budget is that that crew is, is going to travel 45 minutes or an hour and a half. And so they're not going to have a eight or nine hour workday. They're maybe like two or three hours is going to be traveling. And so how do you plan for that? You want to make sure that those plants and materials are there on time. You have all the tools, the suburban, there's still, that's maybe like where the homeowners association can be difficult, but the logistics are maybe moderate in the suburbs mm-hmm. so if implementing a design there's still work but the rural and the urban it could be more extreme <laughs> right all right so what's next in our process it's, it's more or less distilling with the client what are the priority areas mm-hmm. and what's the budget and then that drawing is given to the contractor or the fabricator and then you get an estimate and in some cases we'll have I mean, maybe it's a very straightforward project and we're very comfortable with a contractor. This person is very skilled. It's a fair price. If it's a more complicated project or a very big project, then there might be multiple contractor bids. Well, and how do you evaluate bids? Because I know it can be daunting. I mean, we all want to save our our pennies and, and get the most out of our budget. But how do you know where a a a bid should fall? And can you trust that the work is going to get done well if it's the lowest bidding contractor? That's a good point, right? Like where, like, where are they cutting? Where are they able to cut the cost out and yet achieve the same look that everyone has gotten on the design that you've drafted? A good point. That's a really good question. I can think of examples in Texas where there were a pretty good, pretty good sized project with multiple construction and planting and the, the three contractors they took quite a while to find three skilled contractors that could handle all the cap- all the complexities and so that was through the resource network of 
landscape architects, more or less. Mm-hmm. I, call, I called and reached out to lots of firms and who, who do you use for this type mm-hmm. of service? And then, I mean, I find I get an education by meeting with the different contractors. Mm-hmm. The questions that they ask often give me an education because they're asking, how about this? How about that? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, it, I find it's building rapport and trust and spending. I mean, I probably spend an hour and a half, two hours with them at the first meeting, mm-hmm. pouring over the drawing at the site, and then sort of trying to get down to to be honest about their real capabilities. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it'll be a new material or one they don't work with regularly. They're like any other business person. They want the business. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate when they are honest about it. We work with this material. We don't do it all the time. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be more expensive or we really want to stay away from that type of construction. We're not that skilled in it. But we can do the other part. And then they might say we'd subcontract. Mm-hmm. That rapport you really find out from that meeting. Is this person easy to talk to? Mm. Are they so detail-oriented? Which sometimes can slow down the process where you think, we do need to get this constructed. We want it to be done well. And it sort of depends on the project and on the client. Well, and all of this hopefully is giving folks an idea of the the time frame that they might expect for for certain designs to be implemented. That it may seem like, first of all, that the drawing should be simple. Like you just get a flash of inspiration and, you know, it's all done. But sometimes you're doing research about appropriate materials or the rules of the location or the climate and the zone and what plants would be appropriate. So a lot of work goes into the design to begin with, and that can take time. And then there's, you know, the drafting and then the client feedback and then (laughs) revisions. and, And so that sometimes puts people into a different season. Like it's not, you know, you're not going to get it planted right away. And then of course, as you're researching contractors and waiting for people to get back to you and, and then initiating permitting processes, it, it can be quite slow. And I think it's maybe, maybe folks are ready for that when it's building a house or renovating like a kitchen, which from what I understand, like renovations always go longer than the estimate longer and more expensive. <laughs> like, right. and, and we always, we really try to stay within people's budget, which I think is a key to our practice. But you still have, I think, kind of like all of these elements that kind of aren't in your control where you're sending out feelers for like, you have this plant in stock from the nursery and then you're waiting however long it takes to hear back from them. And, and so giving people, whether you're in the industry or you're listening, you know, because you like, you're contemplating design or something, it's having a little bit of flexibility in terms of the timing or, you know, or be upfront with the designer. If you're, you know, if you're the client or with your clients, if, if you're the designer, like, do you have a special event coming up? Is there something we should prioritize? Mm. Can we get, can we get some containers going that'll jazz up this, this yard for your, your daughter's wedding? And then we'll get the hardscaping done later. So it's not a mud pit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, So, you know, you're almost designing the construction experience uh-huh. by being upfront and talking it through and sharing honestly, like, you know, if, if a client really is in a hurry and they can't wait for that, that hands-on process, they may just need a quick planting that like a nursery, a great, a good nursery designer could like knock out. And then, and then they have the supply that'll just stick it in the ground. Right. Again, for something like curb appeal, like, Oh, you're trying to sell your house. <laughs> you may want to do it down and dirty and like, just get it done. Hopefully that's sort of an educational process that folks can 
enter into in these relationships. Yeah, I think of like that the clients, like your point, they don't necessarily understand. I mean, the clients could be a municipality or an mm-hmm. institution or a residential, and they just might not have an idea of how much this we're doing behind the scenes. Right. We try to update them, but I mean, that's like the point of hiring a professional. It's not our job to, you know, to, to ring our bell every, you know, this is what we did today. We, <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, this one project required removing quite a bit of, tr- like there was a lot of overgrown plant material. Mm. And I did a plan. It was not a pretty plan, but it was a, a, a diagram mm-hmm. plan to scale that showed which plants were going to be removed. And then like a schematic, which areas were going to be replanted. Mm-hmm. And then the building inspector was still a little gun shy. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, if he had complaints from the community, because this is going to take out a lot of, these trees were overgrown. It's like very shady. They were relatively healthy trees. They were just overgrown. Mm-hmm. And so he said, I said, well, what if I did an elevation drawing? What you'd see at eye level mm-hmm. of what these plants, and he said, that would be great. And he could show that when if a neighbor complains. Well, and that's what you get very often when you're walking by uh, construction sites, like in the city. I lived, well, I just mentioned where I used to live in 125th and Broadway. And Columbia was putting up, Columbia University was doing some new construction of the like, Manhattanville campus. And it had these big science buildings. But uh-huh. what the pictures depicted primarily were the elevations of what the streetscape was going to look like. Because oh, they were man. putting in, they were going to be putting in street trees and benches and, and make like, you know, kind of the, the mandate if you're, if you're an urban university is to provide some public space, some value. Oh, right. And so that's what you would see is like, you know, the little silhouettes of the two people and like <laughs> the street tree next to them. Um, I think that was Renzo Piano. Oh, wow. Which is, I mean, yeah. did the, the Whitney Museum and his approach is very, it's dynamic. It's like you're engaging architects, mm-hmm. but it's like so pedestrian people friendly. Yeah. So that streetscape is, you can see into the building. It's not this marble, you know, bunker where you, like some of the corporate offices, you can't see into the building. Mm-hmm. You hear the whole first floor, like the Whitney, the new Whitney Museum is similar where you can see, oh, there's a cafe inside. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's restrooms or water fountains. Well, I mean, you'd hope in this day and age that there'd, there'd be some research into the impact that this might have on communities living in a city. Um, but I, you could see that they were trying to telegraph, like this will be a friendly, like, mm-hmm like accessible space for people walking by and they could be programmed too. So there'd be an event that might've appeal like Spike Lee's giving a talk about his new movie mm. or, or a politician is releasing their book. Yeah. So it's something that it's not just academic center, but the, the general population might be like, well, this is, let's check it out. Right. Well, it's a pretty area. I mean, there's that whole waterfront that is, is really quite it's spectacular. So close too. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice to live there. Yeah. Good <laughs> memories. You'd, you'd walk out to the water past dinosaur barbecue. So you'd have the smell of oh, barbecue. Right. <laughs> Which is a Syracuse. Over you. Like a Syracuse. It was like a Syracuse. Upstate New York. Yeah. Syracuse biker bar barbecue place originally. Right. All right. So you've, you've given your plans. You've started to check out your materials. You're trying to find the right contractor. You know, anything, anything else in this stage of planning? Well, let's see. So you... Let's say you've, so you've gotten the bids back mm-hmm. and then assessing, I mean, it is nuanced. So what I try to, I always have the, we act as a general contractor in some projects 
and I review the bids and then give my suggestions to the client. Mm-hmm. So like this one project where there were the three contractors, the one was honest. They said, we're not great at this one material. Like, so, but there'd be alternative materials that would look almost the same. Hmm. And so I'd give that feedback to the client. And mm-hmm. then remember the, the client in this case, I, and I sort of tried to drill down to and to say, what level of budget is budget is such a peculiar. And so like to be the client advocate in this whole process. And so they said, we want it to look nice. We'll pay for good quality. We don't need it to look like the Taj Mahal. So there, Mm. I mean, some folks, the appearance, it's like whatever the cost is, we want it to look fantastic. And then other clients are, we want it to be economical, no matter what it looks like. And these people were like, they want a good quality. And so I really tried to relay that to the contractor Mm -hmm. and then make suggestions like these people are going to be competent. And then you sort of narrow it down. How important it would look better with this one contractor, but it's going to be 10% more. And then the client says, well, that's, that's it's not that important. Or, you know, we really do want it to have this antique feel. Mm, right. And then the client, so then there's, the contractor is going to want a deposit mm-hmm. to schedule it. And then the materials gets, get ordered. So there's still some wiggle room where you can really fine tune the materials, like where you're, where I'm going to the, the place and then bring the materials to the Or you to have to site. make adjustments because occasionally things that you thought you were going to have access to are sold out. So, oh, right. you know, flexibility, preparing people for, I, I mean, it, it's like you say, there is there is a budget at which you will make it happen no matter what. Like, okay, this brick is sold out. We'll pay for the reclaimed brick from this one location. It'll in come order from to move St. It Louis in. on a yeah, truck. Yeah, but so, that's not most of us. Right. <laughs> you're just, you know, so then having some flexibility or not being like wedded to something super specific can be helpful, I think. I mean, I had that with a recent consultation where you know, some of our contracts, we say that in relation to the material selection where it works best when, when the client defers to us. I mean, we, we aim for exactly what we say, but that they give us discretion. Mm-hmm. So, because it's often on the spot, this is not available or this pallet of material, half of it's cracked. Mm-hmm. So, okay, mm-hmm. so we don't have that. Now, this one's like a different shade. So having, that's when it works well when the client trusts you and you're, you're aiming for a general goal. Like it's going to be beautiful, fulfill mm-hmm. all the program, have these elements. And communication is key because once it's been installed, it's, I mean, this is big Because to make stuff. changes. It's not like changing the paint color in a, in a single room of a house, you know, so. Right, to really think it through. Yeah. So making sure you have the rapport up front is, is helpful. Whether it's, I mean, like those, my early days where, where the client would want to move the, tr- you know, like a big tree six inches mm. and my mentors would just watch them navigate that, you know, oh, this yeah. tree is going to become like 30 inches wide. So six inches is, it might look slightly different from your kitchen window. It's not going to make any difference mm. and, and it could damage the tree. The tree's already in place. And so having that, it just comes from experience, how to <laughs> like to know when you can take the client feedback and when you say, you know, this is going to be detrimental. All right. So anything else to share about this particular phase of the development of your plan? Well, I mean, that trust between the client and the designer and between the contractor also be that we try to instill that, that we're, we're competent, but they say it's even more important to instill that you're trustworthy. It's even more important 
Well, and it's important when you feel like that has eroded for whatever reason, like mm-hmm. not even through any fault of anyone's, but, but there's not a good fit that being honest about that and saying like, well, we don't want you to be on, unha- we don't want to like, <laughs> we don't want you to be unhappy with us. Right. We'd rather like release you from your obligation to use mm-hmm. us and, ha- and have you go, you know, find someone who can sort of like suit your needs, whatever that might right. be. Like maybe, maybe your responsiveness doesn't suit their, their needs, or maybe you're t- mm-hmm. maybe you really can't, you know, meet the timeline that they want. And so it's really important to assess that, especially if you're, if you're someone in this industry, like assess that up front and then I guess trust that it's, that it'll work out for the best. It usually opens the door for then someone who's a better fit to come through mm-hmm. and hopefully, you know, reciprocally for the, the client gives them a chance to, to match with somebody who's a better fit. It's hard because you can lose that trust. I mean, it just happens. Like you, you miss an email and they think you're not communicating or, or whatever like not being heard or... <laughs> it could well be our fault in in one or two cases who knows but you know you just want to make sure you're living up to that standard of integrity and like right. if you just can't like if, if you you know if it's if it's if it's eroded it's important to acknowledge that right and that it's a big world there's lots of other folks out there yeah yeah people have not had too much experience working with professionals i mean it can be difficult because like, mm-hmm. they don't realize that there's all these constraints right. with the availability, with the permits, with the other, like when you make a contractor appointment, you know, the contractor is managing an army of people often. Mm-hmm. So their schedule gets shifted then they don't show up and the client's there on a Saturday for, you know, they went instead of going to their weekend house there. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's almost like the weather. We try to say, this is our intention, but things change, you know, that are out of our control. Mm. And so trying to relay that. Yeah. So I think as we head into a new year and a new, a new season of podcasting, we did one episode that was what is on Charles bookshelf. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we had, we had a series where we were able to end with a design principle, uh, which was, which was fun. We hope our listeners looked forward to that. And so now we might do sort of like what is Charles reading each each episode. As we shift, I think we may shift to to every other week to to turn an episode out. We'll try to come up with additional content in between sometimes <laughs> a bonus mm-hmm. episode. We're not right. <laughs> we're you know, this is it. So we're not like we're not out doing and recording live shows, so it's a little harder to come up with bonus content. But but we'll try. We'll see what happens as the year progresses. And so Things in the news, because you're always reading the news in, in architecture and design or reading right. new books. Or, I mean, the, the various newspapers, depending what city or country you're in, there's often an arts and design section or something mm-hmm. similar. The New York Times, I mean, almost no matter where you live. I've lived, I've not lived in New York and lived in New York. So they have, an, I think it's art and design. And what they really go into is like a deep dive into a subject. Mm-hmm. It's not just like current event news. And so the... What's been getting a lot of attention in the in the design world is the Moynihan Train Hall. Mm-hmm. So that was, I imagine, it was the main post office for New York City, or definitely for Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So this enormous, the Kim Mead and White, I believe, which did many of these incredible civic buildings and private estates too. So they did this building from the 1900s, I, I imagine, <laughs> and that's where actually on the facade of this Greco-Roman post office. Hmm is etched in it is is the mantra 
of the mail delivery of like mm. through snow, sleet, hail, mm. mm-hmm. which is very common. But it first appeared on that building. Oh, and then it, it sort of entered the vernacular of of their slogan of the post office cool. that did that that they delivered no matter what. So the center, so this building was more or less like a donut. Mm-hmm. So the inside of it was it was like a skylight, I imagine. It was mm-hmm. open, I believe. And that's there was a mail sorting room, mm-hmm. and so that this giant civic building, which I think is almost a whole city block, I'm going to guess, is right next to Penn Station. Yeah, right across the street. So underneath is a train yard, and people mm-hmm. are commuting. There's like long distance trains that are going 80 miles to, to a suburb, mm-hmm. and then there's also subways. So this Moynihan train hall is now, they converted what was a mail sorting room, is now this, the whole ceiling is glass, mm. and there's it, and it's it's very sensitive to the history of what it was, you mm-hmm. know, this historic mm-hmm. train station. And the Penn Station was, the original Penn Station was torn down. Yeah. So that was this horrible destruction of this, you know, very special building. So this is in light of that. Mm-hmm. It's this open air light. So our small connection to that. So there, the architect that there's a clock that hangs in the center of that. And the architect, Peter Penoyer, designed this clock, which is reminiscent of this train travel from bygone eras. And then the firm that helps us with our graphics, Dyad, used this historic railroad typeface. Mm-hmm. was the actual fa- face of the clock, which they designed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I haven't visited that yet. But then the ceiling is this undulating glass, uh, like greenhouse effect. Mm-hmm. So it, it's quite thrilling. It's, I mean, it's rare that there's when I think it's more than a billion dollars, I'm going to guess it's you know it's, it's a very large civic project mm-hmm. that will that will live on for the ages, hopefully. Yeah, and, very cool. And it's very light, and it's like they talked about the original Penn Station was this incredible, welcoming, empowering, monumental sort of doorstep of New York City when you visit it. Mm-hmm. And the current Penn Station is this dark, dingy basement, <laughs> <laughs> and so this is. This is moving in the direction of what it was. Mm-hmm. It's very light, airy, open, welcoming. Oh, that's nice. All right. Well, we'll check in with you next time to see what has caught your interest in the design world, architecture, horticulture, all of those things. So that's kind of it for our episode this time. And we look forward to putting out another great episode in a couple of weeks. And we hope you'll continue to listen if you've just found us or if you've been a listener for a long time. We're, we're so grateful and we, we love doing this. So it's nice to be back in the studio and um, developing some other subjects for, for y'all to listen to. That's right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so until next time, we hope you get out and enjoy a little slice of your own, own bit of landscape. And uh, do try to connect with us if you have an opportunity. All of our information is at the very end of the episode. Very good. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. In the Landscape is brought to you by King Garden a full-service landscape design, care, and education company. Enjoying what you hear on our podcast? We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at connect at kinggardeninc.com. We welcome show ideas, gardening and design questions, and always corrections. We travel all over North America giving garden talks and leading trainings. Check us out at kinggardeninc.com for our speaking details. And also take a look at our online course offerings for more in-depth explorations of topics covered on our show.